Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. I'm willing to take whatever criticism comes along in an effort to make sure the game is something Americans will continue to embrace. What I do take exception to, people routinely write about how I feel about the game. They have no idea how I feel about the game. The fact that, you know, I don't wear an I love baseball tattoo on my forehead doesn't mean that I don't love the game. Rob Manfred, ladies and gentlemen, ruling out an I love baseball tattoo, unfortunately. Owning yourself by saying they have no idea how I feel about the game. You're the commissioner of baseball. It should be pretty unambiguous, my dude. <laughs> That's from a, from a piece in The Athletic this past week. Um, Evan Drellich got the chance to, to sit down with Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. And he really told on himself quite a few times. There is a, uh, there's a, a, a lot to unpack here. I wanted to read the quote that was tweeted out and was circling around about the runner on second rule. Rob Manfred says, Oh my God, it was like a crime. It was like you were committing a crime against humanity. Now, dot, 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 there's lots of people saying, quote, you know what? This is actually okay. Getting, getting real, real Trumpy vibes from that. You know, right? like literally, right? like the whole, like, yeah, before everyone, everyone hated what I was going to do. They all, Everyone was saying, oh, this is going to be so bad. You know what? And then now I just did many, it. Now, and then now I did there are many, without now there many people saying, many people are saying, it's very good. It's very good for the game. I, there aren't many people saying this. There are no. some people saying that it makes it more interesting in extra innings. But you know what? I had the distinct pleasure of introducing the fact that this rule was happening in real Major League Baseball games to my mother this past week. She didn't know that. She wow. hasn't been tuning in for a lot of extra innings baseball. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, a lot going on in the world. And she was like, wait, they're really doing this? Like, in the games? <laughs> and I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, Mom, they really are doing it in the games. They're really doing it in the games. It's very little league. But we're just, we're doing it. Nothing really we're matters. plowing straight ahead. Nothing does matter about this season. It is my fav- one of my favorite things when my mom or somebody else who like only tunes into baseball from time to time asked me to explain something that has a- absolutely zero logical explanation and i'm just like i don't know and they're like no really like i, I want to talk like i don't want to understand it and i'm like i don't know <laughs> no you don't get it <laughs> you don't get it like i'm not we have no authority here on tipping pitches and we don't even try to understand this stuff. The whole point of this podcast is that we don't try to get in the heads of these people. We just make fun of them. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, when you even try to get inside the heads of these people, it's incredibly hard to decipher the decision-making that goes into some of this stuff. Like the, like the changes that they make are just bonkers. Manfred has another quote in here, and then we can start talking about stuff that happened in baseball this week. No, um, let's just do the whole let's do the whole Honestly, we can just do, re- read the whole thing, every quote from Manfred. He goes, "I think the major league agreement makes clear that I am the CEO of baseball. 
What I is the major my... league agreement? Is that I... like the social contract, but for baseball? <laughs> my man said, read some John Locke, losers. <laughs> I try to conduct myself as such. Just like being the CEO of General Motors, you have an obligation to protect the brand. It is like being the CEO of General Motors. It actually, it exactly is. I mean, here's the thing, is he's kind of just like straight up admitting what his role is, right? Which is to make money for shareholders, to protect the interests of the people who own the company. It's not actually to make a good car. Yeah, and every time... (laughs) Wow, coming out slandering General Motors. Okay, I love it. I love it. Go off. No, and every, every time he does something, every time baseball does something like the Let the Kids Play initiative, it's like that time that the CEOs all signed that like green pact. Do you remember that last year when all the CEOs signed that like climate change letter that they were going to put climate change above profits? Let's yeah. check in on that, guys. Hey, the, hey, <laughs> the Daily. Let's do a follow-up episode. How are those CEOs doing so far? <laughs> oh, man. Wait, CEO so what, of Major League Baseball. Good guy. What what part of the like what part of the evolutionary process are we at with him admitting that he's the CEO? Like saying this part out loud as you as you so eloquently noted, he's just saying the role, like he is being very public facing about this. He's saying the quiet part out loud. So like is that progress for us, Alex? Like now that everybody realizes he's out here saying I'm the CEO, I'm the suit, can we then like message around that are we at the like admittance stage of grieving (laughs) (laughs) that's a good question um i mean we we talked about it with shakia a bit right that we want to be able to actually put pressure on him right and get fans behind that idea that he's not a cheerleader for the sport he's literally just like you said he's a suit for the game so, so sure, maybe it, maybe it does help. Maybe he's doing the work for us. This is a tangent, but have you ever seen Rob Manfred not in a suit? In your head, can you picture him not wearing a suit? I I think I can picture him in a in like a white polo. I think that's a look I've seen before. Rob Manfred polo. Hold on, Google is giving me results. Oh yeah, I, yeah, with the polo with the um. The sweater vest over top of it. The zip-up quarter zip Patagonia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, dude. Yeah, okay, I see him in a Nike polo. Can you imagine how deranged he would think if he ever heard our podcast? How deranged he would think we are if he ever heard our podcast? Let's talk about Rob Manfred's style choices right now. Because, dude, loosen loosen the tie. Yeah, but he could loosen the tie a little bit, you know. I want to see like a little more. He's like within himself at the plate. Like he's not. He's never swinging out of his shoes when it comes to style. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. He keeps it <laughs> real conservative there. Yeah. Well, he, when you're the CEO, you have to, you know, you have to present professionalism. Yeah, you do. I mean, you're never going to catch Rob Manfred in a t-shirt. Although. If if uh, if that does happen, or if any of our listeners have seen that, please send it to us. I want to I want to know what it looks like when Rob Manfred is wearing like a like a really tight like white t shirt or something like that, or maybe like a muscle tee. Yeah, um, dress for the get... job you want, not for the one you have. What does that mean for him? What is this? What is he messaging to us then? That he actually just wants to be at the bargaining table all the time because he's always wearing his suit with a I mean, tie all the way up. 
Yes. Okay. Well, we, we more Rob Manfred uh, style analysis in the Patreon episodes, but uh, for this episode, we do have some stuff to get to that has happened in the last week of baseball. Before we do all of that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Basley. And you're listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, speaking of Rob Manfred, the CEO of baseball, one of his duties to the game, fiduciary duties to the game, is to decide who gets to own the teams or to be part of the process of deciding who gets to own the teams. Well, it just so happens that my favorite baseball team is up for sale and the Will Pods are at exclusive negotiations with Steve Cohen. Now, you and I have talked about Steve Cohen here on this podcast in the past. I feel like our feelings are pretty known about Steve Cohen, but like... <laughs> and just billionaires in general. In general, in general, in general. He's like everything that we've ever said about billionaire owners on this podcast taken to their extremes. But... Every once in a while, like there is a new thing that trickles out about Steve Cohen. And this week, it it was this piece in the LA Times that I was reading because it was about how Steve Cohen wants to come in and disrupt the Hollywood agency structure. And he wants to build a new agency. He's investing $25 million into this new agency that's going to revolutionize the way that Hollywood talent is represented and productions are funded. Whatever. Okay, whatever. You want to come in? You want to disrupt? Okay, cool. (laughs) But there were some interesting details in here. And I just want to say, I feel like baseball is in some really dire straits with regards to a lot of the things that we talk about very frequently being it has just become a money-making endeavor for the major shareholders, the major stakeholders of these teams. And this Mets sale is about the clearest, brightest example of that that I can possibly imagine. Because it came down to Steve Cohen, who we're about to talk about, and Alex Rodriguez and his cadre of former professional athletes and semi-anonymous billionaire New York rich dudes and McKinsey. Like, those were the two best options. And we came out on the Steve Cohen side. I'm just going to read you a couple sentences from this Los Angeles Times piece. Okay. In July 2013, Preet Bharara, raise your hand if you thought we would have a Preet Bharara reference in the first 15 minutes of this podcast. Wow. Then the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York announced criminal charges against SAC, which was Steve Cohen's hedge fund before they rebranded it after paying the settlement that I'm about to say. (laughs) For which it eventually pleaded guilty, saying the firm had become, quote, a veritable magnet for market cheaters. Quote, we take responsibility for the handful of men who pleaded guilty, SAC said in a statement at the time. These wrongdoers do not represent the 3,000 honest men and women who have worked at the firm during the past 21 years. Even one person crossing the line into illegal behavior is too many, and we greatly regret this conduct occurred. In a civil settlement with federal regulators in 2016, Cohen, who was not criminally charged, was barred for two years from managing outside funds. Less than two weeks after SAC settlement with the SEC, Cohen bought Picasso's La Rev for $155 million from Steve Wynn. This is the guy that won out? Yeah. The guy that won out has a racketeering and insider trading charges section on his Wikipedia. <laughs> That's who we want representing a major one of 30 Major League Baseball clubs, one of the two teams in the largest baseball market in the United States, is the, the racketeering guy who threw his 
who threw the the quote handful of men who pleaded guilty totally under the bus for the sake of the firm? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anything, that's consistent with how the Wilpons have operated the Mets for the last two decades. Just throw yeah. anyone under the bus who they possibly can and try to come out as clean as possible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I suppose this is what we should have expected. I think that, you know, the the A-Rod J-Lo group was really never going to be all that appealing to Major League Baseball. I, f- I feel like... I don't know why, though. I don't know why. I don't either, but I kind of get the sense that they don't necessarily want the kind of superstar forward-facing ownership, you know? I mean, even Derek Jeter is like, has like zero public presence, you know? Like, I have no idea what the dude is up to on any given day. A-Rod tweets and shit, you know? Like, he just feels like yeah, he, he, wants to, he wants to, yeah, he has a Barstool podcast. Like, he wants to be a part of that group, but I just feel like, you know, he almost, he almost has a little too much personality oh, wow. for that kind of thing. That says a lot. <laughs> yes, I know. That's like, Did you know that if A-Rod is vanilla, then like the flavor that they want for owners is like unsweetened, like completely no flavor at all. <laughs> Steve Cohen donated to Chris Christie for his uh, presidential candidacy. I was just about to get into this. Not only did he cheat the market, but here's another little tidbit from the LA Times. Cohen converted SAC Capital to 0.72 asset management. Gotta handle that PR after you pay the largest fine in the history of the market. A vehicle to invest his own wealth. As of July, 0.72 had $17.2 billion in assets under management. So I see why Rob was um, so, so pleased. Word of Cohen's involvement in the new management venture drew surprise in liberal Hollywood particularly in light of Cohen's support for Donald Trump. He donated $1 million to Trump's inaugural committee. Just like open the door, welcome in with open arms, all of the mega rich Trumpy bros and say, that's what we want for baseball in this current moment where MLB is quote unquote, trying to grapple with its racist history. You have (laughs) the guy who donated a million dollars to the inaugural committee of the president who's telling white nationalists to shoot protesters yeah well and and prior to that wanted chris christie as our president just fail son of new jersey right like sure extremely just like wet sweaty man running the country that's what he's looking for (laughs) you forget you left out corrupt you remember the corruption charges against chris christie for the bridge yes also corrupt remember when he shut down all the state beaches and then him and his family went and just vacationed there he was just like just gave the little jack off like motion was like yeah fuck you guys you're not getting this yeah you remember when that bridge was on the front page of every newspaper in america just a a new jersey bridge on the front (laughs) it's like wow my childhood getting a lot of shine right now meanwhile steve cohen's like yeah this is the guy this is the guy who's gonna who's gonna lead us to victory. I, yeah. I don't I don't even. Yeah. <laughs> what is this like? Rich person brain is just something else. Like, is there nobody else who wants to own the Mets? Is, a disease. is there nobody else who wants to own the Mets? No one, no one else. But there were like <laughs> there were seven groups of people who put in bids for the Mets. But it seemed like it was always going to be Steve Cohen. I mean, it was even a Rod. A Rod was I think pretty upset that they that they basically he he thought that the fix was in to 
get Cohen to have the highest bid, right? Um, he basically said that Major League Baseball was taking A-Rod's bids and then forwarding them. them and then forwarding them to Steve Cohen and be like, hey, here's what you're up against. <laughs> Which I believe, right? A-Rod, like, come on the pod, bro. Yeah. A-Rod said the highest he was going to go was $2.3 billion, and then Cohen's uh, final bid was $2.35. Like, mm. Mm. I wonder how that works out. Also, so, funny side note, the the $2.35 billion is uh, $250 million, less than Cohen bid already last fall. So the Wilpons, who tanked the sale because Jeff wanted to remain COO for five more years, just cost themselves $250 million in the middle of a pandemic. That's so funny. That is from the same guy. It would have been from the same wire account. It would have been the same wire transfer. I don't know how you can't wire transfer $2.4 billion, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm sure there's like a Venmo for billionaires, you know, it's just PayPal, bro. We all got off PayPal and billionaires (laughs) migrated over to it. I, I love, honestly, that's good way for the Wilpons to go. Just like totally shooting themselves in the, I mean, they're not shooting themselves in the foot. They're coming off, you know, Two billion dollars richer, but I do have to say this: like I'm, I'm legally obligated to say every single time they're two point three billion dollars richer because MLB, Major League Baseball, Bud Selig, and then Rob Manfred allowed the Wilpons to just like sink all of their debt into the Mets organization and refuse to spend money for the better part of two decades in the largest market in the world with one of thirty Major League Baseball teams. And now they get $2.3 billion out of it. And everybody is friends at the country club at the Trump golf course in New Jersey. Steve Cohen <laughs> will be there as well. Handing off stacks of millions of dollars to Donald himself. Yeah. Everything's literally. fine here. Don't worry. This is a legal campaign contribution. Oh, healthy sport. Good sport. Things are going well over here. The difference between like the public posturing that they're doing and the actual structural stuff that matters is so stark because this is a structural thing that matters. Who you actually sell the teams to matters a lot. Like maybe more than anything, who owns the team matters a lot. And I don't know. I don't know how you say like let's do a like a character test for who buys the team. But they do that. Like they do some form of that in a very arbitrary and non transparent way. Like they do take bids from people and do background checks on owners before you're even allowed to bid. But like the background check here is happening in the Los Angeles freaking times. What more do you need? He has claims of discrimination coming from women at his current firm, right? Like the shit is there, it's out in the open. Maybe that's what that maybe that's their logic. They're like, it's already out in the open. Nothing else can come get us. Everybody yeah. already knows. We'll just take this PR hit for the first six months and then it'll be fine. I gotta say, I wanna I wanna give a send-off to Alex Rodriguez's public campaigning to become uh to become an owner of the Mets. His um the the bootlicking that he has done in on public platforms over the last six months or so. I'm going to miss that. I really am. Yeah. I'm going to miss Alex Rodriguez on broadcast saying, Mr. Manfred, my question for you is you're doing really great right now. That's, that's the question. That's Rob. it. That's uh, the question. That's, that's, that's it. That's the question right there. 
it's it's been fun. It's been a fun ride, and really, Alex Rodriguez should should be involved in more uh, in more backroom deals with Major League Baseball, just so that he can kind of make a show out of it. You know, he's an entertainer. Man, I really thought that one was going to work. You know, I really thought mm-hmm. it was going to work. Just asking a softball question on national TV, I thought that that was the way in. All of that to get stabbed in the back and have your bid one upped by fifty million dollars. Yeah, I know. You hate just Major League Baseball never ceasing to find a way to just slap Alex Rodriguez in the face. Okay, I want to talk about there's been this bubbling conversation on baseball Twitter with some subtweeting back and forth and some 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 quote tweet dunks a lot going around in the last week about the idea of like the professional baseball journalist Alex which is admittedly something that you and I used to care a lot more about as a concept and and trying to be and now we don't care about that now it's just uh <laughs> now it's just Alex Rodriguez you're a bootlicker <laughs> <laughs> but i do want to i do want to talk to you about this idea because it's been frustrating to watch the quote unquote death of unwritten rules in baseball on the field and have that be reported on and have that be talked about and have all of these journalists go around and pat themselves on the back for saying baseball should be more fun death to unwritten rules and then at the same time talk out of the other side of their mouths as it comes to as it pertains to their own profession baseball journalism and just allow certain people to try to gatekeep the way that you're allowed to report on teams because I'm seeing a lot of stuff going around where it's like, you shouldn't be a fan and try to ask questions on these Zoom calls. You know, you shouldn't be, if you're not ready to ask a really intelligent question, then get off the Zoom call. There's just like a lot of that going around right now. And yeah, I don't the, know. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, the the Chicago baseball, the Chicago chapter of the Baseball the Writers Association of yeah. America. Yeah, they they had a tweet a couple of weeks ago. I think we may no, we actually didn't discuss it on here, but that was basically like, wow, really unprofessional question. You know, who lets the fans into the Zoom? Um, and it's just like, what, what are we, what are we doing here? What's the really? I don't know why this is all happening right now. Like, is it because it's Zoom and everyone's just like sitting at home grumpy and like listening to everyone else's questions? And time guess, seems yeah. so much more like the the player's time seems so much more limited. So you don't want to waste any time with a quote unquote dumb question because each well, player I, comes onto the zoom for like 15 minutes and then they're done. You can't like sidebar with them. You can't catch them on a, in the hallway or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also a much more egalitarian way of conducting this sort of thing, right? Like you don't need to have the access to the clubhouse or whatever to participate in this sort of thing, right? Like you can be a baseball blogger and gain this sort of access, right? I don't know. I can't speak obviously to the the access rules for in-person versus Zoom interviews. Um but, you know, I, I don't think, think they were SPNA- Yes, I I think you're probably right. But I think that like when it's in person you can't just be like a remote blogger showing up. So I think that like the reporters who are boots on the ground are like, these people were never here before asking these dumb questions and they live in their mom's basement and they don't come to the ballpark and they don't actually watch baseball. Like that whole line of thinking 
which like over Zoom, anyone can join. So you can be remote. You can you can live in L.A. and cover the Mets, or you could live in you know what I mean. You could live in Omaha, <laughs> our favorite city. Mm-hmm. No, wait, Topeka is our favorite city, right? Topeka, Where, right? Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow, the people of Topeka are going to hate me for confusing that. <laughs> and you can cover like the A's. And good. I, yeah, I think more people should live in Topeka and cover baseball teams. Just gain some perspective, you know, like live in a flyover state for once. I have nothing to say about flyover state discourse. I don't, (laughs) I don't want to keep having flyover state discourse. (laughs) I'm over it. I'm over it. They were right. The flyover people were right. Then the, the, the blowback was wrong. It was all bad. I think it really is interesting that this conversation is coming at a time where we are having discussions about making baseball more inclusive and more accessible to people who either are interested in watching it or are interested in playing it. And at the same time, there is this regressive nature to be like, well, but the pros should be the ones who are writing about this thing, you know, like leave, like leave it to us. Don't let this SB nation blogger in, you know, they're not, they're not the ones who are covering the team every day and building these relationships, you know, like who is a schmuck? And it's like, I understand that you feel like your territory is kind of being encroached upon, like, and all of a sudden, like you don't feel that special because you're on the same playing field as the, as the guy who runs Athletics Nation or whatever, like that's, yeah, that makes you feel not so special. But guess what? You're not that You're special. Not. Yeah. <laughs> so it would be one thing if like you and I got on there and it was like Robbie Grossman. And we we're like, hey, Robbie Grossman, why don't you approach your owner every day and say, spend more money? And then I I would feel like all of the other reporters, like we would be doing that as like a self-serving thing. Like we would be trying to be good proving a point. And like that maybe isn't what reporters are there to do is prove a point to advance their own cause necessarily. I would get it if the questions were actually wasting time. But like the questions that people are complaining about are like, they're like kind of funny, like they're jokey questions, like they're they're lighthearted. They're maybe not as serious as like quote unquote hard nosed reporters would want them to be. But at the end of the day, what kind of hard nosed reporting are you doing in a Zoom press conference after the game? Like, sorry you didn't get time to ask your question about what it felt like to watch your teammate hit the game winning double. Yeah. Like, okay, what was going through your head while you were up there at the plate before you hit the home run. What did you see? Uh, yeah, that I was trying to. I was just trying to. Trying to. Was he giving you a ball. different look? What did you see from him tonight? It's like, yeah, they don't are ever we, answer we, those questions anyway. Yeah, I'm. There are. I want to preface this by saying there are a lot of really great journalists out there who, both in their writing and on places like Twitter and on this podcast or whatever, um, do not shy away at all from very critical reporting. On Major League Baseball, yeah, maybe my example teams. of like asking Robbie Grossman why he doesn't tell his owner to spend more money is a bad one. Maybe it would have been more like, why don't you, why don't you ask LeBron James to come play in Major League Baseball? <laughs> <laughs> but let's not kid ourselves, like you said, and pretend that a lot of the national baseball journalists 
are up there holding these players or these managers like holding their foot to the fire because they're not i am you can't okay here's where i land on this you can't sit there and complain about professionalism and complain about bloggers and and having access to this sort of thing and being you know you're not allowed to be a fan of the team but then not actually act like the opposites of that sort of thing. Like a lot of baseball's biggest national reporters are effectively cheerleaders for the game. And again, that is not to say that there are not journal baseball journalists out there who are doing really great reporting. Um, but there are a lot of national baseball writers who get a little too chummy with really powerful people in baseball. And so to say, well, you know, we can't have fans in here. I'm like, okay, so start asking Rob Manfred about what he's actually doing to make baseball more accessible or inclusive, right? Start asking um, GMs or owners why the hell they're tearing down the team, you know, like, call out the Red Sox on their bullshit to their faces. Like you, you have this access, you can ask them to it and you can ask them about it. And this is something that when we talked with Jen uh, a couple weeks ago, they brought up, right. That baseball is all about access. And so, yeah, I get that you're upset about uh, just a, your Topeka blogger popping into the zoom chat and asking his question, but like, it's it's funny. I don't know. It's funny Step though. Up your game then. Yeah, it's funny though that this whole thing started. You referenced the the Chicago chapter of the BBWAA. That came after somebody asked. I don't know who asked the question. I wasn't on the Zoom call. I don't think it even was said stated explicitly around Twitter who asked this question. But the question was a day after Lucas Giolito threw his no no. The blogger, the writer in question, asked. Is the White Sox starter on a hit limit today? As a joke. Like, Giolito gave up no hits. So if the hit, if the pitcher today gives up two hits, are they getting pulled? It was a joke. It's like not that funny, but then again, neither are any baseball journalists. Baseball journalists. Yeah, and baseball journalists are are chummy with their, their, the people they're reporting on all the time, right? Like, I would prefer my journalists to actually pretend like they enjoy what they are writing about and engaging with. Like I get why it's weird to build a relationship with the person that you're covering, but that's going to happen. And I'd rather you just acknowledge that the lines here are really blurry and I'm going to try as hard as I can to keep it separate, but I'm going to get intimate with my subjects, you know, like I'm covering them for 200 days out of the year, right? 250 days out of the year. So to pretend like there's any sort of objectivity in baseball journalism is, it's it's false. And what is so what what is the difference? Truly, what is the difference between what a lot of national baseball reporters who want to keep their access do, and what fans do? If your critique of being a fan writing about your team is that you're doing PR for the team, I got bad news for you, national <laughs> newsbreakers. You're doing the PR of the team. You know who's doing PR for teams? Woj. You know who's doing PR for teams? Shams. You know who's doing PR for teams? 
Passing. Rosenthal. Passing. Rosenthal. Like... Verducci. They're all doing PR. <laughs> yeah. They're all doing PR for teams. Now, that's not to say that every single thing that they do is PR for teams, but like the primary function of breaking news is because the organization wanted you to find it out. Like if you're just breaking trades, they wanted you to know that. Otherwise, yeah. it would have just stayed between the GMs. And if you break something else, if you break a story, like, for example, those, the Washington Post story about the Washington football team right now. Yeah, that's not PR for teams. We don't need to pretend like beat reporters are not doing PR for the team. Because, like, at the end of the day, everything that you do that grows the team's brand, that grows the team coverage, is... PR, right? Like all news is is good news. All all headlines are good headlines for baseball teams. The more people that know about them, the better. And the the notion that like this new wing of media that's popped up that's like fandom, you know, engaging with other fans, being part of a community, community journalism, you know, like we want to deliver you what you like because we also like it. And we're not trying to be muckrakers. We're not trying to break the story about how Steve Cohen donated to the Trump campaign or about how he, the, the, the legal findings of the case where he paid it out and, and settled instead of being charged with racketeering. Like, we're not trying to do all that. There is a place for that. And guess what? The place is also in the Zoom conference. Like, it's in the press conference, talking to the players, giving other fans what they want to do. Because, like, these bloggers don't just do this because nobody engages with it. Like you and I are not in the Zoom conference getting quotes because Although, nobody would give a anyone, shit if, we if anyone has if anyone has the password to uh, to an upcoming Zoom conference with drop Trevor it in Bauer, the DMs, tipping underscore pitches. However, yep. like those things are two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of of getting the team out into the world, no yeah, matter how you do one, it. One side just admits that that's what the, that that's what they're doing, right? Like one side is like, "Hey, this is written by fans." Yes, and the other side is veiled in professionalism, which, yeah. as I imagine, a lot of people listening to this podcast know, has a lot of problems. The concept of professionalism is usually racist, usually sexist, usually ageist, usually ableist, usually a lot of things. It usually does not help anybody except white people and usually white men, which is why a lot of the beat reporters who consider themselves traditional hard-nosed journalists are just are just middle-aged white people. Yes. And frankly, that has a lot to do with engagement of the sport, right? Like if if the people who are not if the people who are writing about the sport are this very specific demographic, like that's going to affect the perspectives that are being put out in the world. You have a very one-dimensional perspective of baseball and a very one-dimensional thinking of like, what is fun and what isn't fun and what deserves coverage and what doesn't deserve coverage. And so we talk about expanding the game a lot, but this is a huge part of that. You need those different perspectives to be talking about baseball. Baseball should be wanting that sort of thing, right? Because otherwise, if you just leave it to the beat reporters at your local paper, who are important, I think do good work and work very hard. But if those are the only people who are receiving that access, 
I don't know. It's a pretty uncritical you, lens of the game. Or also it's like a pretty it's a one pretty dimensional uncrit- look at the game. Like you it by a, nature yes, exactly. your job asks you to look at what's on the field and talk about it every day. And sometimes you can talk about what's going on in the clubhouse. And sometimes you can talk about what's going on in the front office. But for the most part, if you're a beat reporter, it's pretty not glamorous. Like you're pretty much just writing game stories every day. Because there's 162 games, especially in this season where there's like two games per day. So like it doesn't leave room for the beat reporters to do all of the other silly stuff that other outlets can do with more frequency. And frankly, with more earnestness <laughs> and better. <laughs> Sorry. Like, and uh, I mean, I also feel like we should place ourselves in this too, right? Like we, the type of conversation that we have about baseball is not going to happen with beat reporters because most of the time we're like baseball teams are bad and shouldn't exist and are run by crooks. So like beat reporters can't do that because of what Jen talked about with access. So to me, it's like, I don't begrudge beat reporters for what they're doing because at the end of the day, it gives us a lot of the information that we then use to have conversations around the periphery of the game. So I don't understand why there's such a begrudging acceptance of other types of media into the baseball media sphere. But then again, like baseball, the entire world and the way that it's been formulated in our country doesn't usually accept new things. Yeah. When you have had a very exclusive level of access to one thing for a very long time, and then all of a sudden someone starts encroaching on that, you're like, hey, man, that's not okay. But, you know, we've been through this with literally every other aspect of life in general over the last couple hundred years. So what's new? Okay, let's quickly talk about the trade deadline because it happened on Monday, and I guess this is a baseball podcast. Yeah, this is a, we talk about baseball. Um, get to the trade deadline. Forty-five minutes into the pot. Um, the only real trade that I wanted to talk to you about is the Mike Clevenger trade. Unless there's something else that you want to talk about. Do you want to talk about the A's? Their big acquisition of Tommy Listella. Oh yeah, and don't forget about Mike Miner. That was a that was a major acquisition. God damn it! That was good. Yeah, good joke. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Italian um, legend Tommy but- Listella. <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, Tommy Lestella, you're going to Oakland. You're gonna, you're gonna win the pennant, Tommy Lestella. <laughs> that was that was good. Is that is... roll with it, bro? Yeah, I, yeah, I know, I know. I don't have much to say on these things. Um, I, I, I'm, as many people know, I am a fan. I am a fan of the Oakland Athletics. I'm not a journalist, well, and so I. Uh, else to say then, you have nothing else to add. You're yeah, so fan. I can't I can't really comment on this um, or discuss it in a professional uh, setting. So I'll just say the A's acquired Mike Miner and Tommy Lastella, and we'll just leave it at that. What do you think about the change in war, projected war? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about Clevenger. Cleveland is such a catch-22 for me. And here's why. It's ridiculous that they just trade away all their players before having to pay them. It's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous thing to do that you and I should and do critique very often. Like Clevenger, they traded him away to the Padres. They're definitely going to leak something to some reporter that's like, well, he fractured the clubhouse by lying to his teammates. And we felt that this was the right time to send him off and, and have a reset. 
and uh you know we we felt like we could adequately replace his contributions to the team despite the fact that we're in first place right now and he's one of our top three pitchers you know they trade him to the Padres and they get future value for him back and on its face I'm like that's bullshit you're in first you should keep all of the good players that you have right now in an attempt to finish in first and then win the World Series. But at the same time, the reason they're catch-22 is because they have so many fucking good players, they develop so many good players, that they almost like low-key don't have room to keep them all on their Major League roster. Because they called up Tristan McKenzie two weeks before trading Clevenger away. And Tristan McKenzie is fantastic. And he was their top pitching prospect. He's very fun to watch. He's been very good in his first few starts. And I'm watching Tristan McKenzie and I'm like, it kind of makes sense how you traded Clevenger away. But I don't want you to, ha- I don't want other teams to learn this lesson that you should just trade your guy right before he hits arbitration, right before he's about to become slightly more expensive. And I know, I know in my heart of hearts that that's the reason they did this, not because they wanted to get Tristan McKenzie up in the rotation and he was super duper ready to come up right now. They definitely just did this because they saw an opportunity financially to move him to a team so that they didn't have to pay him. Yes, correct. That's the that's the correct take on the on the situation. And it's really frustrating. I mean, as I said, I'm an Oakland A's fan. And so, this is something I'm quite familiar with. It really sucks to see your baseball team be on the cusp of something great and then turn that around and say, "Well, we can get good value out of this guy." You know, we can we can get good future value. And, yeah, we won't have to bottom out. Yeah, and and it's possible that like you can. I'm not saying that you, baseball teams should never trade good players, right? Like there, there are times when it's all right to do that sort of thing. I understand that's a part of the sport, but the Indians are in a really tough position because they have been consistently pretty good over the last few years, but have sprinkled in just some trading of their really good players, which has kept them from being like legitimate contenders, right? Kept them from being able to go up against the Yankees or the Astros or the Rays or whoever. You trade away Trevor Bauer, you trade away Corey Kluber, right? And you trade away Mike Clevenger. And it's like, what is the future that you're playing for? If you're if you're not going to keep Francisco Lindor around, right? If you're thinking that like this is your window, you have a good baseball team of good young baseball players. What? Why? If not now, when? You know, I think you're exactly right. But I think they're always playing for a seven out of ten. Like they always <laughs> just want to be a B plus, and that's the yeah. thing that's so frustrating about this is because. I get into arguments about it all the time because every singular move is like almost defensible. You know, like all GMs kind of know what the value is on both sides. And it's kind of rare now at this point in the sabermetric front office world to be totally swindled on a trade because you have like reliable data on everybody else's minor leakers as well. So like Sean Doolittle, you trade him to the, the Nats and you get back Jesus Lazardo. That's a freaking awesome move in 2020. You have an, a top two quality major league starting pitcher for a reliever that you couldn't use because your team wasn't very good anymore. And he then went on to win the national. He then went on to win the World Series with the Nationals. 
it's a win-win story for everyone, right? But then you take all of the moves in the aggregate, and what do you have? You have a very good ace team, not a great ace team. Ever. Never. Did you ever feel like they were ever going to contend for the World Series? N- no. You might say that you had hope no, at some point. Maybe, but this yes, year, maybe. Yeah. You might say that you had hope at some point, but that's what I'm saying. For the last four years, the Ace could have been World Series contenders, but they're only kind of World Series contenders in 2020 because the window is so tight, you leave yourself barely any room to ever actually win the World Series when you run your team like this. And that's exactly what happened to Cleveland in 2016. They had that very tight window to win, and then the year before that, nope. The year after that, not really, and definitely not two years after that. So that sucks for fans. That sucks for fans. And it's so hard to articulate why. Like, we just had a 20-minute conversation. I still feel like people might be confused as to how I feel about this. Yeah, so the Oakland A's effectively traded Josh Donaldson for Tommy LaStella and uh, and reliever JB Wendelkin. 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 (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's the period on the trade. You zoom out, and you just kind of scratch your head. You just kind of scratch your head at a lot of these things. I'm like, yeah, in the moment, like you said, you can justify this sort of thing. You can be like, well, we're... I mean, I don't even think at the moment you could really justify the Donaldson trade. I remember exactly where I was when that news broke. (laughs) But... I do too. (sighs) Dang. And then the Blue Jays were so good and so fun with him. I know, I know. I don't have much more to say on this. We've made our feelings clear, obviously. This is, these are feelings that we have divulged on this podcast many times before. Um, but what I will say is, like, there's always a team that's going to take advantage of this sort of thing, right? And the Padres are, Padres are cashing in. Padres look dope as hell. Yeah, and then they're going to lose the World Series, then it's going to justify 50 more years of thinking, like, the Cleveland and Oakland front offices, but yeah. But like, but I don't think that's, I don't think that that's the case, right? Like the moves that the Padres have made over the last couple of years don't necessarily indicate that they are satisfied with just like trying to luck into a playoff spot every year, right? Like they committed to a tank, right? Like they committed to a rebuild, whether you think that's a good thing or not, right? And now they see their window and they're like, all right, let's 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 go all in. All our chips are on the table. So, I don't know. It's a good time to be a Padres fan. That's just what I'll say. Austin Nola, new catcher for the Padres from Seattle Mariners. Pretty good. Good. Pretty, pretty freaking good. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. You know, you're right. You're right. We should, get, Preller, we should get a Padres, on Padres fan on that. Oh, yeah. Was, or, or AJ Preller. Wow, that, you that need to dream too. bigger. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break and then come back and do a three up three down. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. You say black, I say white, you say bar, I say bite, you say shark, I say him and George was never my scene, and I don't like Star Wars. You say Rose, I say Royce, you say God, give me a choice. Okay, Alex, let's start with down this week. And I want okay. you to start. The first thing sapping my baseball joy this week. Is um is watching a professional baseball player throw a 101 mile per hour fastball at another person's head? Brutal stuff. Wow. From Araldis Chapman. Mm-hmm. Throwing at Mike Brousseau. 
of the Tampa Bay Rays. Just straight up headhunting. Yeah. You know, really okay. awful, really awful to see. I was trying to decide how I wanted to talk about this because I have this in my ups, but it's not about Chapman. It's not about Chapman. Okay. okay. I'll just spoil it. I have the Yankees being bad in my ups because like they're bad. Like like bad, like like morally bad? No, or like they're they're bad baseball. Like players. skill. Okay, they okay, suck. Yeah, yeah. Like they've lost like 12 of their last 15. And it is sort of satisfying to watch them be like ridiculously petty and try to I don't know there's something there's something about this Yankees team that I hate again I hate them and they are hateable and they've earned it they're petty they're violent I know that your mom lo- likes the Yankees and I know that I don't want to upset her because I know she's our most loyal <laughs> listener of all time but this is the Yankees team that I've hated maybe the most in my life because like late 90s whatever like I was four when the Mets lost the subway series like four or five so like I didn't really hate the Yankees yet I was four I didn't have capability to hate a baseball team and then like by the mid 2000s when they made it back to the World Series they had lost to the Marlins like I didn't care whatever they made it back to the World Series and it was against the Phillies like by the time I would have hated the Yankees by the time I was 12 or 13 and they were in the World Series and they were spending big money and I should hate them for being the evil empire. They were stopping the Phillies from winning the World Series, so it was a good thing for me. And then they became fringe good for a while. So there was nothing to really hate that much except like the Derek Jeter and oral retirement history tour. of the New York Yankees. Yes. Yeah. And then they were fun. Then they were fun and young and you and I talked through it a lot of this podcast where we were like it's weird that the Yankees are the fun team. And now they're totally beyond that. I hate them. I hate them. They're just like so petty and trying to start shit with every team. And they're trying to start shit with the Rays. And the Rays are not innocent in this either. They're starting shit back and they're giving threats yeah, back. And Kevin, yeah. And Kevin Cash is saying, Yeah, I got a whole stable of guys who throw 98, which is bad like, all around. The Yankees Jesus Rays Christ. thing yeah, is bad all around. But like the Yankees talked a whole lot of shit, and guess what? They haven't even made a World Series appearance since 2009. They've talked a yeah. lot of a lot of cash shit for the last decade and haven't done a lot. And um, um, it's annoying. I don't understand the rivalry between the Yankees and the Rays. Just going to say it. Don't really see it. I'm sorry. Like, feels a little forced to me. You well, know? It's just because the Red feels Sox, like- they, they vacated, you know? I know the Yankees need someone to beat up on, <laughs> but it's dumb. And I, I, the last thing I'll say on this is that this is the kind of thing that major league baseball should like come down on. And I'm not like pro um, like criminal justice, you know, punitive justice, punitive whatever, justice, like, yeah. <laughs> But, but also, like, sucks. MLB this doesn't is... have, like, a rehabilitation program for people who throw at each other. Right. Well, and it's like, damn, it's almost like this is the kind of environment that you create when you allow abusers in your game. Like, this is this is the shit that happens, man. Yeah. I And so, a three-game suspension for all this Chapman, that's... That's stupid. Yeah. That means nothing for a reliever. They went harder at protecting the Astros when Joe Kelly threw at them. <laughs> yeah. Ada, it's weird. It's, it's all weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Okay. Okay, first down for me. Tom Seaver died. Yeah. Really sad. Um, I talked about this a little bit midweek on Baseball Barbecue, but Tom Seaver is like, you know, when, when, when you and I, Alex, when we were going back and watching all of the old baseball games early quarantine when we were doing like some tipping pitches classics going back and watching games that we didn't remember or had never seen before something that kept coming up that i loved about it was that you can almost like see the thread woven through the fabric of baseball history like one player gets traded for another or two players played together one at the late stages of his career and one at the early stages of his career and then the second player goes on to greatness inspired by playing with a legend when he was younger. And this happens a lot with like Roger Clemens and then to Pedro or, you know, Nolan Ryan and 40 guys because he played for 25 years. Like it's one of my favorite things about baseball that all of the history of it is woven together between these guys who played in slightly different eras that were defined by slightly different things. And Tom Seaver is the original stitch in the Mets cloth. He is the person who made them a relevant franchise. He's the best player in Mets history. And he was the most important near MVP during the year that they made a miracle run and won the World Series. He brought them out of... They started in 1962 as a pathetic new expansion team that lost the most games in Major League Baseball history. And then seven years later, he was winning 25 games and carrying them to the World Series. So, like, he is the foundational star of the Mets franchise. And it's sad to see him pass, especially only, like, 75. And ailing from Alzheimer's, it it was just really sad. But I do want to say, I was so... I was very moved by how the Mets media handled it. The TV broadcast the next day was really emotional and Keith was crying and then they had a walk off and Howie Rose was crying and that is sort of like the silver lining to see like the way that the Mets community revered him and in any case though it does make me very sad. I think my favorite part of it all was Howie Rose ripping the Mets and uh, for how they, for how they treated Seaver basically at the end of his career. And then this is on SNY. And then for some reason, the, the, the connection on the call went really bad. Like uh, there's this weird buzzing noise and they immediately cut back to the, to the anchor. It was, it was really strange. I mean, I'm sure it was like a coincidence. Crazy how that that happens. It is really crazy how that happens when, you know, you're being critical of a, of a franchise. But it was also very evident in Howie Rose's um, discussion about Seaver that he really cared about him as like a human and as a baseball player and was disappointed to see, like, how he was treated organizationally um, because he knew and, and recognized, like, how much Tom Seaver meant to Mets fandom, right? Like, he is the guy. Yeah. Well, also, it's interesting how time changes things, right? The way that the franchise embraces him after all of the stuff that the franchise wronged him for. 
and he was critical of in the moment. Like, Seaver is kind of like a baseball labor legend for this. Not only was he involved in the union, not only was he involved in renegotiating the CBA for players, he fought this personally in his contract with the Mets. He said he was getting paid $225,000 a year because he had renegotiated it and said, I want to make more than 200000 And then as his contract was coming up, he was like, I want to renegotiate it again because $225,000 a year is not enough for what I am. And this was like back before baseball contracts were like solidified 10-year guarantee making $30 million a year. This was before then. This was the 70s. Contracts were like torn up and renegotiated much more frequently. So this was not out of pocket for him to ask for this as the best player in the game. And they were basically just like, nope, we're just going to trade you. We don't want to pay you more. We're just going to trade you. And he was so offended by that that they wouldn't pay him more that he said, fine, trade me. And they did. And it was the worst trade in the history of the Mets. Like, you can't trade away the franchise. Like, you just can't. You can't do it. And they did. And he was critical of them for that, as evidenced by Howie Rose talking about it on SNY and then cutting it off. Okay, we've spent a lot of time talking about Tom Seaver. Let's go to your next down. My next down might seem a little weird, but uh, but I'm just going to say it. Vin Scully joins Twitter. It's not going to end well. Nope. There's no... Vin Scully, absolute legend. Just gorgeous voice, beautiful broadcaster, beloved by everyone throughout baseball, missed in the booth. Like that... These are all facts. I love Vin Scully. But like, I I don't know. I'm sure that he is not necessarily the one who is handling the day-to-day operations of his Twitter account, you know? Like, but there is no there's nothing objectively good, I think, that, that can that can come out of this sort of thing. Like, I don't need Vin Scully tweets exactly. They might be fun. They are they might have some like fun facts in them some nice little nice little tidbits like Vince Scully is known for but it's I don't know it's gonna end with like a weird comment about like kneeling or something like that and it's gonna ruin our perception of Vince Scully or his mentions are just gonna be filled with like really bizarre shit I'm like the the good does not outweigh the possible possible bad of this sort of thing no one should be on Twitter I'm very with you Sorry to reference baseball barbecue twice in five minutes, but Jake made this exact same point this week. That <laughs> also, I want to say, Twitter probably not the form for Vin Scully. Absolutely, who's no, like very used not. to like long winded explanations and stories and weaving stories within the broadcast, and that's why he was so good, good enough to have a one man booth is that he could tell these long drawn out stories, but also pepper in the play by play into them. And Twitter's not good for that. Twitter's good for like getting dumb jokes off and, uh, yeah. and nothing else. Vince Scully, start a, start a vlog, start a YouTube vlog. Yeah, like very frequently people on Twitter just like tell on themselves for regressive views that they haven't updated. And I love Vince Scully, but he definitely has a bunch of regressive views that he hasn't updated. Yeah. Unless him coming to Twitter is his way of being like, I'm trying to get in with, with lefty Twitter. <laughs> Open your arms to me, tipping pitches Twitter. Yeah, I know. Maybe Vince Scully just like is going to log on and start dunking on Rob Manfred, you know? What if he does? I think that we should like 
rename the Hall of Fame to like the Vin Scully Hall of Fame. The Vin Scully yeah. Baseball Hall of Fame. I'll rename the goddamn podcast after him if he does that. Tipping Scully. Okay. Is it my turn? <laughs> yes, it's your turn. Um this is this is like bordering on someone you know who's semi-famous complaining to an airline on Twitter, but here I go. Okay, I'm scared, but go for it. MLB TV media's MLB TV's streams are a joke. They're a joke. They're a joke. It they should be embarrassed. It's impossible to turn a, t- a stream on without it freezing for me. And I'm watching on like a PS4 with good internet. You know, I do Zoom calls all day long and I don't have a problem with them, knock on wood. And I record podcasts through Zoom. And then I boot up the fucking MLB TV stream and it freezes on me more than half the time, quits the application and I have to restart it. And I'm just wondering, like, (laughs) when Disney paid for MLB Advanced Media, BAM Tech, what were they paying for? A service that doesn't know how to stream video content? What did they pay $6 billion that the players saw nothing from? Just fucking figure it out. I don't know. Like, you know what doesn't freeze on me all the time? Netflix. You know what doesn't freeze on me all the time? Hulu. You're Major League Baseball. Just figure it out. Yeah, well, I mean... And I feel like I'm not the only one. I feel like everybody complains about MOB TV. For whatever reason. streams on Reddit has that out. Like, like all all the illegal streams... Never, never freeze, freeze never and are freeze. consistently like twenty seconds ahead of the of the MLB TV. You stream. know why that is? Because MLB TV has to process a very heavy part of their web page designed for DAI on Google, and you know DAI is dynamic ad insertion, so they can target their ads to you and make more money. The reason that the, the streams are bad is because they're like geolocating you at all times, and it's very heavy on the web page. Not that I'm like a web designer or anything, but like it doesn't take a rocket science to figure rocket scientist to figure this out. It doesn't take the person who coded the first Facebook page to figure this out. Yeah, it's bad. It should make it better. You'd think that a sport that's grappling with how to make itself accessible to more people and more uh, more available would, would be, be accessible and available to the person would, who already paid sixty nine ninety nine. Yeah, you'd think or fifty nine ninety nine or whatever. I don't know. Okay, what's last for you? Last for me is the same thing that is last for you. Oh yes, which is which is the a tweet that came from the Boston Red Sox Twitter account this week. I'm so week. glad that you have to explain this. I don't even know how to explain this. <laughs> it is a picture of a person hitting a button on a keyboard that says reset and the caption a to meme. the picture That's a says meme. A popular meme that is that, that, that is a meme. No. Yep, and it is paired with another popular meme. It was just a uh, just a string of letters. It says I Y K Y K. That means if you know, you know. And the knowing in question here, Alex, comes from that morning, the Red Sox resetting their luxury tax. So in the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement, one of the things for competitive balance is that teams that spend over a certain amount of money, I think it's $212 million on payroll, 220 or something, they're in the luxury tax. And as you repeat entering into the luxury tax year over year, so you're in the luxury tax in 2015 and 2016, the penalty becomes larger. Now, the Red Sox have been in the luxury tax for the last, I don't know, four years. 
And this year, by trading and not re-signing Mookie Betts, and by trading away a few other of their higher earners at the trade deadline, as well as David Price, I should say, because he was making a lot of money and they, they threw him in there for financial reasons as well, even though he would have been the best pitcher on their team this year by a million miles. <laughs> I know he opted out, but they've reset their luxury tax by trading away all of those, those, those players that made the team hey. good when they won the World Series and were one of the greatest teams ever in 2018. And um, I, <laughs> social media person pulling up from 40 by sending this tweet. Yeah, quite literally. I just... I. I respect the fact that organizationally, they're just all in on this. Like, from the owner down to the social media manager, you know? They're just like, fuck yeah, reset that luxury tax. Trade Mookie bets. Let's get let's get under that number. Let's do it. Financial flexibility, baby. As we said last week, it's that's amazing. the best player in baseball, financial flexibility. It is, yeah. Delivers every year. The owner is the only one who sees it. It's like a private MLB TV stream. <laughs> MLB, MLB TV for owners where financial flexibility just hits dingers all day long like Aaron Judge in the Home Run Derby. Yeah, I, I don't know why, why this is something that anyone should be celebrating. Least of all, the supposed cheerleader for the baseball team on social media. But here we are, folks. What an just saying the quiet tweet. part out loud. What an unprofessional tweet. Yeah, so... (laughs) Okay, can we move to up? Yes. I want to go first. By all means, go. My first up this week is the Red Sox tweet. Okay. (laughs) I think it's so funny. It just brings me joy when dumb people show everyone how dumb they are. Like, I'm not trying to slander... I'm not trying to say that the person who sent the tweet is dumb. Like, (laughs) like... Go in on them. Sometimes you get manager. Sometimes you get so caught up in making funny memes that you whiff. I think that's valid. I just think it's funny that the Red Sox are showing their ass so hard for this this year, like in every respect. And that's what brings me joy. The tweet brought me joy because it was just everybody in harmony on Twitter being like, "You guys are fucking idiots." Do you see what Mookie Best is doing in LA right now? You guys are idiots. And this tweet gave everybody an opportunity to dunk on it in a way that like wasn't toxic. Like people weren't just trying to like people weren't like that was not like vitriol. It was just like uniformly like you guys are dumb and you just showed it. What's so funny about the tweet is like, you know, the caption reads, if you know, you know, and they are referencing something incredibly specific that many people likely don't know. Right. Like you admitted, I, I admit that I I didn't know that the luxury tax was resetting that morning. So I why would I, didn't I know that? Yeah, that's not yeah, a principle form I wasn't, of my baseball <laughs> entertainment. Is when does the luxury tax reset? <laughs> Which is the so whole like, point of all of this. That is like nobody should care. Yes, and I I love that this, the whoever was running their social account that morning was like very tuned into that sort of thing. Yeah, they got the internal email was, and they were like meme. Yes, exactly. How can we how can we make this digestible and retweetable? So, yes, it is incredibly funny. And yeah, like you said, sometimes you miss. I would we love to know before. how they thought it was going to go. What is the group of people on Twitter who is going to be like, "Ha, yeah." <laughs> like really though, like, you know, cuz when you send a tweet subconsciously or consciously, you got to be thinking like, what is the audience for this tweet? 
Who's going to yeah. like this tweet? And who am I sending it for? Or maybe sometimes you send it. It's just for me. This one's just for me. And I don't care if it gets one like. But like most of the time, our tweets are for people who want to get owners out of baseball. You could look at all of our tweets and be like, let's send these owners out of baseball. But who was that tweet for? If you know, you know. The bootlickers? They were like, yeah. The replies were going to be like, round of applause. Congrats, guys. John Henry, keep on keeping on, my brother. Yeah, it requires both a very specific level of knowledge about MLB's financial system and then also requires you to be all in on just sucking up to owners. Like there's yeah. <laughs> the the Venn diagram of that people is already very small. So, but you know, it happens. You you bounce back. It's okay. We all make mistakes. Okay, what's next for you? Or what's first for you, I guess? First up on my list is that Mariah Carey has finally admitted that not one but two songs from her 97 album Butterfly are about who else but Derek Jeter. One is about their first kiss. Steamy as hell. hell two, yeah. and it's just about their, two is just about their passion. You know, I'm thinking of you in my sleepless solitude tonight. If it's wrong to love you, then my heart just won't let me be right. Because I've drowned in you. This is Derek Jeter we're talking about. That's aggressive. And I won't pull you through without you by my side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I just cannot fathom that anyone can feel this passionately about Derek Jeter. Although I guess like 97 Derek Jeter is very different from 2020 Derek Jeter. Like dude was kind of a heartthrob back then. And now, I mean, yes, absolutely was a heartthrob. Mariah Carey had it going on. Like, he was definitely like People Magazine's sexiest man like five straight years. 90s was... I mean... 90, and also like baseball mattered then. Yeah. it Yeah. Baseball didn't matter then. And also like... Also Jeter absolutely has the like sexiness factor. You know? Mm-hmm. He has it. Like I absolutely believe that... Because he's not on Twitter. Then he was, you know why? Yeah, he's, he's not on Twitter. He's not on Twitter. I, I'm not going to speculate about how he was between the sheets, but my guess is it was I ate. It was enough for Mariah Carey to write two songs about him. I just want you no to one, ask yourself. How- no one. J-Lo absolutely is not writing a song about A-Rod. No chance. I want you to just take a step back and ask yourself how you got here. Reading Mariah Carey lyrics, speculating about how good Derek Jeter was in bed. Just, just This is just the only on place I wanted to end up. I know. This is. I know. Yeah. Okay, so we already did my number two for good. The Yankees are bad, LOL. Let's go to my final up. Okay. Joe Adele. Specifically, Joe Adele robbing a home run, hitting a home run, and hitting a walk-off in the same game. That's like... Bang, son. That's like having a 50-point triple-double in basketball. Like, you did it all, my dude. You did it all. And that's it. That's it. I don't have anything that much more specific. The, angle, the Angels are terrible. Um, Mike Trout just passed Tim Salmon for most home runs in Angels history. I can't believe that that's... Why do they both have fish last names? That's really weird, right? It is It is very weird. Trout yes. just hit his 300th home run yesterday. Um, somehow the Angels have found a way to surround him with a terrible team again, even after signing a perennial NL MVP candidate in Anthony Rendon, who is basically the AL MVP this year. It doesn't make any sense at all. 
However, Joe Adele is very fun to watch. I feel like he's flying a little under the radar this year because he came up and he um, forgot how to hit a baseball, which is important <laughs> for, uh, for I mean, playing baseball. I mean, when you baseball. strike out like in almost half of your plate appearances, like it doesn't exactly set you up for success. But you know who else wasn't very good when he came up first time around is Mike Trout. Yeah, he was bad in 2011. So it's fine. Things are fine. Okay. You're, I think this is your second up. You got to do two straight now. Yeah, I got to do two straight now. But the good thing is that mine are very similar to... Uh, your uh, your previous up in that they are just about two baseball players doing doing dope things. The first is uh, we talked about him before, Tristan McKenzie. Mm. Extremely fun to watch pitch. Extremely fun. I know that Dustin May has the honor of being legs, right? And no disrespect to Hannah Kaiser, but Tristan McKenzie has got some real ass competition there. Yeah. So I was going to suggest that we call him. So Dustin May is legs. That's canon. I was going to suggest that we call Tristan McKenzie Sticks, but it appears that 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 is already his nickname. So I wasn't the first person to think of that. Sorry, Tristan McKenzie. Wish I would have met you earlier. (laughs) (laughs) He's fun. Yeah, he he is. His delivery is weird. It's all arms. He's all straight up. Exactly. He he like doesn't drive from his lower half at all. He's like the opposite of Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He has a fun little like spin that he does. And he like when, when he's through with his motion, you know, where he kind of like struts back around, really shows off those. I mean, as, as Hannah referred to him, uh, as Hannah referred to them, uh, stilts, they look like stilts, which is 100% true. But it's a bummer that the Cleveland Indians are committed to not being a very good baseball team because Tristan McKenzie makes them eminently watchable. They are really a good does. baseball team, though, is the thing. They just have no outfielders. <laughs> I mean, yes, I know, but they're trying hard not to be. So they're they're making sure they don't get very I don't far. even know if I agree with that characterization. They're trying like kind of hard to not be good, but they're also trying kind of hard to be good. It doesn't make any sense. This is the catch twenty two that I was trying to articulate earlier. Yes. Okay, what's your final but up? But if they're gonna if they're gonna be good, it's gonna be because it's Tristan McKenzie. My final up is Tim Anderson's bat flip on a walk. I don't know if you've seen this video. I have not. This is, you know, we've we've once again run into the problem of um, talking about videos of, of making, yeah, m- m- an audio format that is dedicated exclusively to something that is visually digested. But Tim Anderson took a walk on a ball outside, proceeded to turn around and fling the bat underhand back towards the dugout with like. 12 rotations straight line like he got velocity on this bat flip it was not a it was not a high arcing flip it was like front end over back end just over and over hit all the rotations this is good yeah more bat flips on walks this is what we've been asking for i think you said this verbatim is that the next level up from here for guys like tim anderson is doing what he did on the spike but for a walk yeah it's it's Ronald Acuna Jr. bat flipping what he thought would be a home run and turned into like a double or whatever, right? Like that's yeah. just good. You can you can bat flip on flyouts. I don't really care. That's much more common in the KBO, which has been mainstreamed much more this year. But that is something that MLB could learn from the KBO. And also, like, who cares? You know, like at this point, like just just add flair. 
to your game as you see fit or as you don't see fit. Like, I think it's actually funny that Mike Trout doesn't bat flip. And I don't particularly want him to start. I think it's funny that he just kind of sets the bat down right next to the plate as he hits home runs. It's very, like, it's very matter of fact. Mike Trout is the the Rob Manfred CEO of actual players. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like, if everyone starts bat flipping, then, like, it's not a thing we have to talk about anymore. Like, bat flips aren't even necessarily the coolest celebration that a baseball player can do. I think if a lot of baseball players were doing them, they'd be kind of boring. And we're only infatuated with them because no baseball players feel emboldened enough to to do it. So make bat flips irrelevant. That's what I that's what I want. I don't want to talk about this shit anymore. Bat flips is like the center left of baseball celebrations. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's push past it, you know. Let's just carry right on through all the way <laughs> to the left. <laughs> I want to break free. Okay, Alex, that's it for this week. And by that's it, I mean we rambled for, for a very long time and this podcast is longer than I was expecting it to be. Wow, this went on for a bit. Oh my goodness, I just looked at the time. That's okay. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you stuck around. If you did stick end. around and you're hearing this, then you did enjoy it and we appreciate that. And I want to say, if you did stick around this late, you know what would be super helpful, Alex? It would be... To drop us the Zoom password for Trevor Bauer's next video conference? Yes, that's it. Actually, let's just sign up on that. No. What would be super helpful is if everybody who is a big fan of this podcast, like you listen every week, you enjoy it, you appreciate it. If you would just tell one other person to give it a shot, maybe two people if you're feeling super emboldened, just this week, just tell tell everyone to just give it a shot because uh, it's hard to make this pod every week and it feels good when it when it grows and we engage with more people and they tell us that our takes are bad or good or whatever. So if you're listening this late in the podcast, just please tell one other person or give us a shout tipping pitches pod at gmail.com tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. And we will be back as we are next Monday. Happy Labor Day, everyone, by the way, as Alex noted last year on Labor Day, the centrist labor holiday. Happy Labor Day. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!